Well, is it bad to want more money? I mean, isn't it the American dream to just make enough money so you can retire and then you don't have to continue this rat race of making money? I'm going to have a conversation with a friend today. Talk about some of your ideas about money, some of my old ideas about money and how maybe we need to change, how maybe we need to take a fresh look at how we live and give. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, you can tell from the opening there, we talk a lot about money and work here. Primarily work, but it's pretty directly related to money as well. So this is a common topic that comes up, how people deal with money. Wow. You know, I know it's nice to be generous, but won't giving more just delay my ability to retire? Is there really such a thing as a fixed income or does everyone have the ability to make more if they want to? Why is it that most religions seem to imply that having money is ungodly? We're going to dig into some of those things. I've got a lot of old tapes at play in my head when it comes to money because of how I was raised, always learning, always looking for ways to have a better understanding, a more healthy understanding about money. So if you've got those questions, say stick with us. This is Dan Miller. This is the 48 Days Radio Show. If you're new, welcome in. Thanks for being a listener. 48 Days comes from my philosophy that you can assess where you are get the advice and opinion of other people, do a little bit more research on your option, choose the best one and act. And you can do that to make a dramatic change in your life in 48 days. Not just when the kids retire. You know, I talked to a couple this week who a delightful couple who are making plans based on when the kids graduate from high school. You know, we all have things like that. That maybe sometime down the road when your retirement plan is fully vested, or when you pay off the mortgage, or when you pay off your student loan debt. I mean, there are all those things that are long-term. But, you know, sometimes we get caught up in just the waiting, and all of a sudden, life lets us know the lights are never going to always be green. You need to take action. That's what we're here to do, encourage you to take action in 48 days. Here, a quotation comes from Norman Vincent Peale, who said, Empty pockets never held anyone back. Only empty heads and empty hearts can do that. Thought-provoking quotation for us. Our resource for today, this is, I always have a free resource for you. This is, comes from my belief of the power of investing in yourself. No matter what your income is, I think you ought to be investing in yourself. I think it's the quickest way to wealth and better financial status is to invest in yourself. So if you go to 48days.com slash invest, I'll show you there the formula that we walk you right through. Now, typically I'm taking questions from you, the listeners, where you have real life questions about your situation, your work, desire for change, your frustration, or success stories in those same regards, how things have worked out well for you. Delighted to hear those as well. Shoot those in as always. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan and you'll see there where you can send in your question. And if I use your question here on the podcast, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days with a note from me. Delighted to do that. 
So again, shoot those into 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use it here, send you a new copy of the brand new version of 48 Days to the work you love. Now, here, here's something from an old Aesop fable. A miser, to make sure of his property, sold all that he had and converted it into a great lump of gold, which he then hid in a hole in the ground and went continually to visit and inspect it. This aroused the curiosity of one of his workmen, who, suspecting that there was a treasure, when his master's back was turned, went to the spot, dug it up, and stole it away. When the miser returned and found the place empty, he wept and tore his hair. But a neighbor, who saw him in this extravagant grief and learned the cause of it, said, Fret thyself no longer, but take a stone and put it in the same place and think that it is your lump of gold. For as you never meant to use it, the one will do you as much good as the other. Well, I love that old story. The moral of the story, obviously, being the worth of money is not in its possession, but in its use. So let me ask you this. What kind of relationship do you have with money? Do you really think it's good? Or maybe you think it's just a necessary evil? Now, in my family growing up, we were pretty suspicious of people who had lots of money. I mean, even today, I have relatives who believe if you have money, you probably took advantage of somebody in order to get there. I knew as a kid, I knew I was risking God's displeasure because I wanted more money than our family had. But I also know people today who are extremely wealthy who hide it because they think family members would think less of them if they knew. So, There's so many issues around this, so many issues. I mean, do you think more money would make you happier? How do you make decisions about giving? When will you have enough money to retire? I mean, we hear these stories. I'm kind of intrigued with them. I'm sure you are as well about people dying who were living in poverty and yet they had amassed a fortune. I mean, there was one not too long ago, a janitor amassed, he he died with an $8 million fortune and then left most of it to his library and hospital. But this guy was literally a janitor. He was a janitor. Prior to that, he worked at a gas station as a gas station attendant back when we, we had real people that would come out there. But died with $8 million. Even his family didn't know he had that kind of money. Died at age 92 and had quietly amassed this $8 million fortune. Just living a very frugal lifestyle and then... He was good at investing, obviously, never spending money unless he had to. He drove an old secondhand car, used safety pins to hold his coat together rather than you know buying a new coat, cut his own firewood so he wouldn't have to use electricity or coal or oil to heat his house. And then he died, <clears throat> left a whole lot of money to Brattleboro Memorial Hospital, where he was a regular, not for treatment, but for breakfast. He ate his breakfast at the hospital, always had a cup of coffee and an English muffin with peanut butter. One of the waitresses there said, that was it. He always sat at exactly the same stool. Sometimes other people would volunteer to buy his breakfast for him because he looked so poor. Well, this is an interesting kind of setup that we see. And I think sometimes uh, accumulating money can be as unhealthy as other ideas may be, but I'm going to have a conversation with Derek Kinney. Derek has a brand new book out titled Good Money Revolution, 
how to make more money to do more good. That's the issue, how to make more money to do more good. Now, Derek's done very well in his own financial history, his financial path. You'll hear a little bit about that. I ask him some questions about that. But I'm going to ask him some questions here. I want you to just listen to this conversation that I'm going to have some wrap-up points that maybe we can take away. So you aren't going to need a calculator, but you may want a pen and paper to jot down some ideas as you kind of assess your own ideas about money. Are they healthy? You know, what, what is, what's motivating you? You know, this idea that we talk about so much, and I'll talk to Derek about it, about just get enough money so you can retire. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a pretty selfish vantage point to be, have that be your motivation for making money. Well, let's jump into this conversation with Derek. Well, Derek, it's a delight to have this conversation with you. I've been looking forward ever since I had an opportunity to see your book in advance and do an endorsement for it. Happy to do so, but good money revolution. Congratulations on getting this message out. Well, thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you. Love being with your audience today. Uh, well, the, the tagline to your book is how to make more money to do more good. You know, there's a whole lot of books out there about making more money and how to do that. But you really add in kind of a caveat that it's not just to move into a bigger house or get a nicer Lamborghini, but it's uh, to do more good. I mean, tell us a little bit about your motivation behind that. Well, growing as a financial advisor for the past 25 years and building a successful practice I really enjoyed helping people make money. But what I realized at the end of my career and really what led me to make this pivotal change was people weren't experiencing the fulfillment or the meaning that they thought they would have when they accumulated large piles of money. And what I found is when they laid their head on their pillow at night, they felt like they were missing something. And so, Dan, what I wanted to do was connect and, and really dismiss also that in culture today, there is this emerging context that says if you have a lot of money, you're bad. Oh. Or if you're very successful, you're bad. And so I really wanted to address that and say, look, money is good. And here are the good things that you can do with it. And oh, by the way, if you can connect your purpose and profits and, and cash with a cause, you can actually make more money while you're doing good. And so all those merge together to really come up with a new paradigm of, of really helping people see money in a new way. All right. Let's see if we can unpack this a little bit because you set up some real challenges there in that we know if you don't have any money, you're in trouble. But also if you have too much, no matter whose definition that falls into, uh, then you may be in trouble too. But really, when we talk about the American dream, I mean, traditionally, it's been, how do you make enough money so then you can retire and then you don't have to be involved in this thing about making money anymore? It seems to be that really has been the kind of traditional model, isn't it? Just make enough, then retire. That's right. Make enough and retire. And hopefully, life will be better for you when you get to that point. But here's what we're finding is, People are working hard all their lives, providing for their family, often working at a job that they may not even like. I mean, you're an expert in that field, helping guide people there. And what I want to do is make sure that not waiting until they die, because so many people think when I die, that's when I'll make this bequest or I'll make this donation to a cause I care about. What I want to do is give you the freedom and the meaning right now, day by day, that motivates you to say, 
I want to go make more money, whether it's me as an individual or as a couple or as a business owner, and let that drive and fuel me to make an impact in my local community. And what we find is that people who do that, business owners use this as a way to decommoditize themselves because people can buy products and services from anybody, but if they can tie their business to a cause that the owner cares about or that their customer base is rabid about, they will often pay more money to buy a product or service because they're part of something bigger. Okay. Wow. So again, there's a little bit of an irony in how you present this because you imply this idea of doing good right from the start. Again, a lot of people assume, well, when I have enough money to retire, then I can be generous. I'm going to pull some quotations out of your book here. You say, giving is what makes life meaningful. It's what leads to better living. And then as you referenced, connect your cash to a cause, your money to a movement, your profits to a purpose. Now, when people are starting out, they're pretty focused on meeting their own needs. You know, they plan to be generous when they have an excess beyond what they need. You describe being generous at every stage. Doesn't that prolong one's ability to get to the point where you can retire? It certainly could. And it's all how you look at it. And it's interesting because when I began to build my financial planning practice 25 years ago, I didn't realize, but my passion for education is one of the main drivers that really blew my business up in terms of growth. And what I realized was I was simply recognizing students and teachers for the causes that I cared about. But I began to get calls from people who wanted to invest their money because we were aligned philosophically. And so what it taught me was that I could just keep making money because I enjoyed making it, but I also liked the giving part of it. But where we flip the script in the book, Dan, is all about empowering people to say, go make money and go retire and go provide for your kids a great quality education, do the things you want to do, but now do it with a new fuel-filled purpose that can really drive you. I mean, think about COVID. I, you know, I think about this is such a big reset for people. And people are really questioning at a deep level, why am I working? Where am I working at? What impact am I really making? And I believe when people really think back, it might be when they were a kid, it might be yesterday, to a cause they care deeply about, a wrong they want to right, an injustice they want to help solve. And when they pair that with their motivation to save, now they all typically are making more money, they're saving more money, and they're making a difference right now. So when they lay their head on the pillow at night, they feel like they've made a difference today. And the meaning of that really goes beyond just the job they're in right now. Well, you touched on some things that are very, very uh, important to me and my message in that if you really love what you're doing, then the work comes easier, you're likely to make more money. But let's, let's back up a little bit again about this idea of giving. You know, we talk about even the principle of the tithe. You know, people who understand, live that out, are confident they can do more with the 90% left than they could at the 100% all on their own. Now, talk about that a little bit. The principle here, even apart from religious tradition, this idea of giving right from the beginning. Also, I think it's important to kind of uh, align with your message that if you wait to give until all your own needs are met, you're probably not a giving person. 
I mean, having more money just makes us more of who we already are. So if you weren't giving when you had $10, you're not likely to be a real giver when you've got a million dollars, correct? That's right. You know, one thing, and I'm going to go back about a year, Dan, you said something to me on my podcast. You said, Derek, if you want to help the poor, don't become one of them. Mm. Now, when you said that, you weren't disparaging the poor. What you were saying was the best way to help make impact is to go make money, be successful so that then you can be a lever for good. I mean, that's how I heard what you said. And that's a, that's a principle I think that people can apply. But what I also think about giving is also control. So many people, and I know that they, they work at a job they may not like when Sunday at 4 p.m. comes, it's their worst time of the weekend because they realize, oh my gosh, Monday's coming. And they want a better way to address that. And the thought of if I just give 1%, or I give 2% or people like myself, you give 10 or more percent. I know you're a very generous person as well. It gives you an element of control that even in a small way, I can make a difference with my time today. And that's really what this whole uh, item is about. And let me uh, tell you a quick story, if I may. One of my longtime clients, his name was Dave. And I could tell when he came in the office Something was bothering him. The weight of the world was all over his shoulders. And I said, tell me what's wrong. He said, Derek, you know, the business is doing well, but I'm just not into it anymore. I feel like I'm just going through the motions. And I said, for some reason, the words came out of my mouth. Is there a cause that you care about? And he took me back to a trip that he and his wife and family had gone on years earlier overseas. And in this village they went to, they recognized that they needed a schoolhouse to properly educate the kids. It was really holding back this entire village from moving forward. And he remembered exchanging a glance with his wife and and saying, when we get back to the States, let's make it a goal to fund that school. So I then said to him, what if you did this? What if you took the next six months and you set a sales goal and you took half of that increase and use that to fund the school? Well, he, we talked a little bit more, he left the office and so forth, came back in three months later, Dan, this was a guy that looked younger, he was reinvigorated, he was more focused, and he said, Derek, I got to be honest with you, I was skeptical with what you told me, would it really work? But he said, I went back and my wife and I, we talked to our favorite customers and we let them know, here's a passion that we have. And we're going to take a part of our profits and we're going to help fund this school together. And what happened was not only did their existing clients buy more from them, the manufacturing company he had, but they referred people because now there was a story that they could enter into that decommoditized their business and actually help them make more money. So the, the beautiful math was they were making more money and giving more money and making more money and giving more money. And so the math really multiplied quickly for them. Wow, that's one, that's an awesome story. What a great example. You know, you reference our mutual friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, yep. where he talks about in his, his book, Thou Shall Prosper, he talks about the fact that a lot of us grew up with kind of the cultural expectation that money was kind of dirty. Again, if you have too much, you're going to stand out and you know, you don't want to raise your head in that way. It's better. It's safer just to be kind of poor overall. How, when we have so many opportunities today, are there still a lot of people that you encounter who have that, 
kind of feeling about money that you were safest to kind of protect yourself and not have too much? Yeah, and Rabbi Lappin almost calls it grubby sometimes, too, that if you have too much, it's a bad thing. And what I go back to when I hear that, Dan, is I go back to people's bad money beliefs. And I ask myself, where did these come from? You know, and often people can visualize the mom or dad or grandma and grandpa banging their fist on the kitchen table saying, if only we had more money, then we could do the things we want to do. Or, you know, money is for the haves and the have nots. And unfortunately, our family is the have nots. And and people grow up with that. I mean, with people 50, 60 years old that on the outward have all the trappings of success, but inward, when you peel it back, they're very, very insecure. They don't feel confident about their money. And I believe that's a holdback. That's holding them back from their true earning potential because they could be doing better with money, making better decisions. They might have even made a decision that they feel like they couldn't bounce back from. And all of that headspace is filled with you're bad with money. Money is bad. The safer path for you is just not to make much at all and kind of live under the radar. And that's exactly where I don't want people to go going forward. Yeah. Wow. We have so much fluidity in the way people work, the way they create money. And we have people who certainly go from rags to riches. I mean, the old model of just get a job when you're out of school, stay there 30 years and get a 3% raise every year. I mean, that that's out the window. Yeah, the people who discover something that really fits them and all of a sudden their income is 10 times what it was three years ago. And it's wonderful to see those stories develop. Of course, people have to be prepared how to handle that. If they don't know how to think like a millionaire, they can sabotage that when it comes. That's probably a topic for another day. There's a couple other things I want to talk to you about, though, based on your book. And that is this idea of giving where it's tax deductible. The government provides a structure where if we give to certain organizations, then it's tax deductible. What do you find, though, in people who are generous? I mean, how do we conform to only that rigid structure? And then how do we deal with a neighbor who just lost their job and can't pay the electric bill? Or the gal down the street who needs a new refrigerator, you know, or somebody who needs a a simple car to help them get back and forth their first job? How do you address that kind of seeming loophole in our tax and money structure? Yeah, how I think about that is I contrast giving with generosity. And neither is good, neither is bad. But when I think about giving, I think about people who, look, every donation I make, I want to make sure I get that receipt. If I donate used items around the house, I want to make sure that I can document that for my tax return and so forth. And that is not bad. I mean, that is still giving And that's helping make an impact in people's lives. What I prefer people do is is almost keep their giving antennas up in the air and be aware of their current environment. You know, I had uh, Bob Goff on the podcast about a year and a half ago, and he said, Derek, if you want to change the world, start by walking across the street. And when he said that, it just was a reaffirmation to me of so many people think, If I want to change the world, I've got to have all this money and influence and time. Think about your neighbors you said next door, or even asking your kids or your grandkids at a family meeting once a month, hey, what are the needs that you're hearing about? What could we as a family do to step in to bless this family? 
And that's not you're needed to have a tax receipt. That's not needed to talk to the CPA about. That's just flowing from your heart. And what I believe that does is it's, it's creating a culture of generosity in your family. And imagine this, you know, most people right now are really one global event away from losing their job. You know, we've seen the impact the government can have, COVID, all these things. And I believe people need to be not just the receiver of money, but the creator of it and teaching our kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to have an income stream is so, so powerful. But then to tie that to what I now call a generosity purpose something that drives them to make their local world better can really help them be successful at a much earlier age and have that giving mentality from day one. Oh, that's beautiful. I certainly hope that I'm a good steward of that message with my own grandkids. Got a granddaughter who at eight years old wrote a book along with my wife, her grandma. And so she carries that with her full-time travelers. So she takes that with her. And I had her on my podcast recently and talked about just a simple process of making money. Okay. So you have a book, you sell for $10. Is that all yours? No, I have to give $2 to Papa. That's me for the cost of the book. And she said, and then I give $2. She supports animal rescue center that she's very passionate about. So that comes right off the top before there's any profit for her. She's committed to that giving, but it's beautiful to see her even at a young age, understand that principle. Now this thing about giving, you know, we, we, you know, the way that Joanne and I want to give is not so we impress the IRS with what percentage shows up in that category. It's much larger than that. So I love your kind of approach to that as well. And you're kind of sharing your message that it's much larger than just what we can do. So it's tax deductible. And Dan, and one thing I'll mention too, along the, the line of giving, because I know we're very aligned in that regard. I talk about this in the book, but there's often this concept that, by waiting to give, I'm giving a larger dollar amount. So for example, I've got $100 right now, but just with investments and the stock market, if I wait, that might grow to $10,000 and I could have a lot more influence there. What I believe is the math is just the opposite. And that is present value money given today has more impact because of the money multiplier effect. In other words, If I give a smaller amount right now, I'm impacting lives right now that 10 years from now would not have been touched if I had waited. And so I think it's important for people to realize better to give a smaller amount now, but potentially have a larger amount of influence and use that as a driver as to why they should be generous now and not wait until later on in life. Wow, that that really taps into... I think a, a sensitive spot for a lot of people who think giving is simply charity. We give yeah. and somebody ate a meal and it's over. There's no repercussions, no back end value to that at all. And it really does bring to bear that do we give so it is just simply charity or so it equips somebody, some person, some organization to increase their impact in a positive way. Wow, we can really, really do that. Joanna and I just yesterday made a gift by far the largest gift we've ever made to an organization. It's a counseling center and we've decided to sponsor the labyrinth that's being built as part of their new extended campus. They're building an entirely new campus for this labyrinth where people walk through as part of the healing process. 
And we're delighted to do that. But again, we understand the ripple effect of a gift like that. Now, there's there's one other thing I want to ask you about, and you talk about this, this process of investing in yourself. And I think a lot of times people think that giving is always maximized by just giving away. Of course, uh, we know from the Jewish tradition as well that we give best from a full cup. If your cup is empty, you really aren't equipped well to give. So we have to know that we're providing for our own resources, what our family needs. We give out of the abundance of that, but that can even come back into the power of investing in ourselves and being a, not a selfish, greedy thing to do, but a selfless thing to do to equip ourselves to give more. Can you address that a little bit, the process of investing in ourselves so it enlarges our cup? Well, one of the core principles, I believe, is that money flows where value goes. And let me give an example of that. Dan, there was a woman who came to me a couple of years back and she was concerned, <clears throat> pardon me, about wanting to make more money at her job. And she'd been overlooked for the raise. She was feeling almost overlooked and, and really unneeded at the company. And I said to her, the worst thing you could do right now would be to bang on your boss's door and demand a raise. Instead, let's come up with a value-based strategy of how you can help increase the business, reduce costs, help grow the company so that you become a more valued employee. And the whole concept of that was she then began to come up with a strategy and she talked to her boss and her boss actually set up on getting an advanced certification that will help provide me some capacity to see more customers. I'm going to give you a $5,000 raise because that's what it's worth to me. Then what she came back to the boss with was, what if you gave an incentive to every single employee in the company that if we made a referral to the sales team and it generated a client, we got a bonus as well? Well, her boss was beside herself because here was an employee who stood out and found ways to add value to the boss. And I think that mentality is so important right now because I I see many people who don't recognize that right now someone is telling you how much you are worth economically. Now, is it fair? Probably not. Is it right? No. But it's the contrast of the athlete versus the teacher versus the firefighter. The economy tells us how much you're worth right now. And I believe if you are a person of value and you're helping improve a business and you're thinking like an entrepreneur inside of that company, that's where the opportunity is because we know money goes where the value is present in that moment. That just opens a door on there is no such thing as somebody being on a fixed salary. Right. It's not, especially in light of what we've seen mm-hmm. these last couple of years, there's so much that's happened, so many new opportunities, so many changes. And if somebody really provides value, they're going to find new opportunity, even if they think they're in a fixed salary. Wow. Well, in chapter nine, you say there are only three good money levers. Those are save more, crush your debt, earn more. Um, again, if we address the idea of you can earn more, even if you think you're in a salaried position, any quick tips on how to save more, crush your debt in this economy? Yeah. yeah. One of the things right now, I'm a big believer in taking control of your money 
and your income. And, and, you know, teachers face this dilemma often. They work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, and then they're faced with, do I do a side hustle on the weekends and the evenings when I'm tired? And what I would tell people right now is this is the perfect moment to ask yourself, what are the pain points that you regularly help other people solve? People say, hey, what side business or what side hustle should I start? And I just ask them, in your normal course of the day, what are questions people ask you to help improve their life? And that becomes the foundation, Dan, of beginning to build a business where, God forbid, if you lost your job, you would have an income stream coming in that you're in control. And the other thing I would say, I I call this concept capture and keep. And that is, think about all of those commoditized expenses that you have right now. Maybe your automobile insurance, homeowner's insurance, renter's insurance, your cable company here in Texas, we can choose our electricity provider. All of those are very, very similar, except for the service that gets provided. And if you call those companies and say, look, I'm considering changing Is there a deal that you have? Is there a savings that I can get from you to keep my business and then take that savings and apply it immediately to your number one financial pain point? Now you've captured the savings and you've kept it. And we've helped people pay off mortgages years early, help them get out of debt. But it's a way then to capture those dollars and get them working for you and not against you. Awesome. Love the possibilities. Well, Derek, I've got one last question for you here. You recently sold your business and you say to do more good. Yet from the outside, it may look like you killed the golden goose. You know, the very tool that was allowing you to prosper, give generously. Is this the part where you're going to tell me that God has called you into full-time ministry and now you're going to ask me for a generous donation so you can continue (laughs) to do good? Or do you have another plan? Yeah, I have another plan, and that is every year. (laughs) I suspected so. Yeah, every year I go on a sabbatical. I think you'll appreciate this. So let me take you back to July of 2019. I'm in the W Hotel there in Boston, and I ask myself for about five days, three questions. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And how can I be a better business owner? And those three questions guide me as I think and I pray and I journal And this particular trip, God had really laid on my heart asking myself, what do I want the next chapter of my life to look like? And surprisingly, as I made this list of things I would love to do, write a book, host a podcast, coach, speak, wasn't being a financial advisor. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't that I didn't love the recurring revenue, but I realized that to have the broader impact that I feel like God was calling me to do with all integrity... I would need to sell my practice, put my back against the wall, and then really deliver what I felt like God had placed in my heart. And there was this whole concept of, look, money is good, and helping people make more of it, and then doing more good with it. And that could impact eternity, eternal causes. It could affect your local church. It could affect a cause that you cared about for a long time, but just empowering people to do that. And I felt like, the best way to model that would be to make that decision. I felt like it was a God-led decision and I sold it for a good price. I managed the money well. All those pieces are in place, but it's now helping make an impact. And that's what I wake up every day doing now is knowing that in a small way, 
I want to help people have that ripple effect where the, the, the rock hits the pond and we've got those concentric circles working their way out. Well, we wish you blessings on doing that. I know you've got a clear plan for that. Your book is beautifully done. Again, Good Money Revolution, How to Make More Money and Do More Good. Um, where can people find more about the book, Derek? Yeah, you can go to goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com, goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com. We put together some nice bonuses that when people pre-order the book, they get some videos on how to make more money and how to ask for the raise they've always wanted even before they get the book. So we're all about adding value to people right now. So goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com. All right. Well, we're certainly going to encourage people to go there. Derek, thanks for spending time with us. We love you sharing the message. I believe in it. I was honored to do an endorsement for your book, and we know it's going to help you change the world. Dan, thanks so much. I've enjoyed every minute of our time together today. Thank you. Well, there you go. So many points in there to ponder, to digest, to implement in your own life. I know for me, it's an ongoing process to rewrite some of the old scripts that I grew up with concerning money to uh, understand how to invest well, how to give well, how to live well, all those things I think we can do with our heads held high. So just in wrapping up here, I want to remind you just some questions I want to run past you in regard to this. What was your family's money story? Number two, what is your money story going to be? Number three, Derek asked this, are you a creator of money? Number four, are you living well and giving well? Is there a cause you believe in that helps drive you to make money? Do you have the money mindset that opens the door for more? Well, good thinking. I enjoy thinking about these things. Again, the book is Good Money Revolution. You can go to goodmoneyrevolutionbook.com, get Derek's bonuses there. We're certainly helping him promote the book. I think it's one worth having in your, your library. As always, if you want to submit a question, welcome that as well. You can go to 48days.com slash askdan to ask your question. We'll be back on those next week. Got some great questions lined up about living well next week for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing being a powerful force for making the world a better place and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.